What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with some more NBA basketball talk. Before we get started, just my usual quick, but maybe also not so quick reminder to continue subscribing to us wherever you consume us. If you're on YouTube, hit that sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. If you're listening to us on the podcast player, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever, download every episode, throw us the permanent sub if you haven't already, should this be your first time checking us out. Uh, If you've done both those things, and please cross sub on YouTube and download the podcast. Tell people about us, retweet our promos on Twitter, shout outs, anything um, that can help us continue to grow the community. And also follow us on the socials, what's in the podcast and YouTube description, TikTok, Instagram, the whole Twitter, the whole nine. Um, And also join our Discord. That is in the YouTube and podcast descriptions as well. Let's cannonball into some stuff. We have our Peace or Panic pod or two pods. I'm not sure if I'm going to separate them into two parts yet going live later this week. So I want to focus on some news and notes and also dig a little bit into the Atlanta Hawks, DeJounte, Trey um, Trey Young pairing. Uh, we'll start with the Lakers because we always start with the Lakers and that's going to be the lead image on this podcast. Uh, Bill Simmons said that Anthony Davis could be traded, which caused like a little fur on uh, Twitter uh, Monday. I don't know. I mean, like Bill Simmons knows people and I don't think he's just, I mean, Anthony Davis is going to, you know, generate listens and, and, and discussion. Uh, I, I have a full belief that he heard this from someone, if not someone's, I just don't know that I buy that Anthony Davis could be traded. And I also, I don't think Anthony Davis should be traded. If I'm the Lakers, Uh, he turns 30 in March playing through a back injury right now. He's has a bunch of these different injuries in his rear view. Do I think teams would still give up? a fair amount for him. Yes. Do I think he gets as much as Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert? No free agency is coming sooner for him. Uh, he has next year he will play out and then he has a player option, which if he's not declining it, uh, going into his, you know, I guess that's technically his age 31 season at that point, but whatever, like if he's not declining that player option, uh, something's wrong there. So you really only have him for another full year after this. So, and given his age and injury history, I know he's similar to Gobert in age, but not an injury history when you look at it. Uh, and even though he might be the best player of those three at his absolute peak, uh, right now he's not the best player of those three. Donovan Mitchell is. And if you want to go the debate between Rudy and Anthony Davis, that's fine. But that, the fact of the matter is Anthony Davis is not at the same level as Donovan Mitchell right now. You give up real stuff to get him. That being said, uh, what, though, when he has free agency coming up and you, you're talking about all his injuries. The other thing here, too, for the Lakers, there's a few things. If you're trading Anthony Davis, you're throwing away this season. You're throwing away your immediate future. So why do you still have LeBron on the roster? LeBron cannot be traded this season because of when he signed his extension, which means that you would have to, I guess, shut him down and then trade him over the offseason or... You don't shut him down and let him add wins to your tally since you don't have your own pick, which, oh, that's the other thing in all this. The Pelicans have the right to swap their first rounder with the Lakers. And so trading Anthony Davis is not going to drum up the value of your draft pick necessarily. You would have to, okay, you could bottom out, but you need to hope the Pelicans bottom out too so that either they don't swap with you or they swap and you're still high enough to have made all the losing worthwhile. You can't guarantee that. And it'd be different if you were going to get the Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert type first round pick haul anyway. You could at least look to those and say, whatever, we have these future rebuilding blocks coming down the line. You're not going to get that much. And so if you're not going to be able to trade LeBron as well, you are sort of married to this situation, which I think the question instead becomes, 
should they still be exploring Russell Westbrook trade scenarios? We had Woj saying that they would wait till around Thanksgiving to see which teams are struggling. Guess what? The Lakers are the team that is struggling. They look like one of the worst teams in the NBA right now. LeBron is also dealing with a foot injury. What I do think is encouraging, uh, Russ has played really well off the bench. He's like two-thirds of his shots are coming in the restricted area. Um, he's been giving a good def- defensive effort all season. There are lineups that just make more sense because when you look at the touches breakdown and the difference is absolutely absurd, um, his drives per 36 minutes have basically, I think, close to doubled since he's started to coming off the bench. It's a more natural role for him putting the ball in his hands. I don't think that's made him easier to trade just because his number is so huge that 40, what is it? Was I always forget the number. It's just 40 plus million dollars. I think it's like $46.1 million at this point. That's such a huge number. No team is acquiring him with the intention of keeping him. They are acquiring him, probably knowing they're not going to reroute him and that they will either buy him out uh, or waive him uh, once the trade deadline is passed. Maybe the cost of just getting him off then, if he's being productive, is a little cheaper. Like, does it cost you one first-round pick in a swap instead of the two first-round picks? It doesn't really matter. Russ is playing better. Darvin Ham has Anthony Davis playing the five to his credit. He's tried out a bunch of different stuff with his rotations as well. This roster is just incredibly poorly built and you have to ask yourself as a fan as Rob Palenka as the Lakers in general if we were to throw our best trade package out there it's Russell Westbrook's salary those two first round picks 27 29 you can go to swaps if you want in 26 and 28 assuming those are value does any trade realistically get you out of this malaise into title contender territory the answer to me at this point is no And while I don't know that that necessarily warrants not doing anything because you are on LeBron's timeline and he has looked iffy at points this season after what I thought was a pretty strong start, like very beginning to the year, you were still married to that timeline. You're all in. And so you should kind of make the trade. At the same time, it's sort of just like, well, at this point, you're so bad. It makes sense to just play out this season since no one trade. You could trade for Kyrie Irving and he could actually show up and play for you and stay out of the tabloids for his you know, commitment to conspiracy theories and anti-Semitism or promoting anti-Semitic docs. Excuse me. He says he's not uh, anti-Semitic, which is we'll take him at his word for that. So like, he's not going to just fix this. It's not just a matter of you bring in this one star and then you maybe hollow out your roster even more because it's a cost you Russell Westbrook and other players. Um, who else are you bringing back with Kyrie? Are you that much deeper after the trade? And then, Hey, you're bankrupt of your picks. It might make more sense at this point to just say, okay, the season's over. It's November again. Another season's over in November. We're going to keep these picks and we're going to have cap space this summer and we'll reevaluate then. And that's when you make the decision about Anthony Davis's future about LeBron James's future as well for that matter. Because if you're trading Anthony Davis, you might as well trade LeBron James. That's just like, I, I, I don't know other way. You're, you're not trading Anthony Davis and getting better. People can make jokes about him being injured. That's cringy. He's, he, his, I've said this many times in the podcast. His chronic injury is injuries itself. It's not always just the same thing that he's dealing with that continues to hold him back. He just always seems banged up. That's, that's just a fact at this point. But you're not trading him and getting better because you're going to get the poo-poo platter of, well, maybe some picks and some like role player salary. Again, if the Lakers had their own pick, if they could also move LeBron James this season, I might be more about it, but you're not. And so it's just counterintuitive to even make AD available unless you are going to get that offer. And you look a quick scroll of the NBA right now. And this doesn't have to be like a very in-depth dive. It's just, you're not getting that 
from anybody. And like, I don't even know, like the Hawks aren't going to give you Clint Capella and John Collins as an example. Like if you're trying to just sort of diversify your front court rotation, at least I don't think they would give you John Collins and Clint Capella. Uh, Clint Bell, uh, John Collins isn't shooting the ball too well right now, but that's besides the point. Even is that really worth it? Like, is it because you're not making your long-term future any better? You're kind of, are you even, you're deepening yourself in the immediate with two more players, neither of whom is dynamic as, Anthony Davis isn't rolled into one. John Collins is the more dynamic offensive player at this point. Clint Capella is not the more dynamic defender. He's still, he's good. Uh, that's just like an example of a team that maybe I thought I could see talking themselves and Anthony Davis. I mean, like we're going to get into the Suns in a little bit, but like they're not going to give you the godfather offer that they will give for KD for Anthony Davis. That's just not, that's not happening. So, and even Dallas is just like, are they giving, and if they do, how many, they can't even give you that many picks. They have, this pick, let's assume it goes, so it'll go to the Knicks, uh, which means that you can get 25, 27, and 29 as contingents, and then they could include every swap under the sun, I guess, but they don't have like any players that are going to interest you in the long term because they're not chock full of prospects. You're going to be getting, I won't say dead money, but you're going to be getting salary filler. We're talking maybe they, like, they're not even going to want to give up Spencer Dinwiddie in that deal because Anthony Davis can't show their ball, ball handling. You're going to talk about getting Tim Hardaway Jr.'s money. Uh, you know, Davis Bertans is money. So, I don't think trading Anthony Davis right now makes sense. It'd be different if the Lakers own their own pick or again, they could trade LeBron James. And so now I say you just ride this out. And if there is for some reason, the trade market develops and you can acquire someone with that package, it won't be outbid. Uh, sure. But it would have to be like, I don't even think all the extracurricular stuff with Kyrie aside right now, I don't even think it's worth it to go and get him at this point. Like, I just don't think he's the level of star that would bring the Lakers to immediate contention where you're dealing with a supporting cast this shallow. Now you have to look inward there and say, okay, well, we just extended Rob Polinka. Is this the front office we trust to build out this roster moving forward when, yeah, they're going to have cap space, but what are they going to turn that into? Are they going to go star chasing with, you know, semi near max cap space, which is what they can get to, or are they better off going after like a different, like supporting cast and splitting that 30, let's say $30 million in cap space. They can get to, I believe they can get to over that, but let's just use that number split up among like two players, three players. $30 million of cap space also isn't going to mean like that much as the salary cap continues to go up. You're probably talking about two players then. If you want to get higher end, guys will be a part of your closing lineup, which is a big deal. But do you go that route? Or are you able to nab a star? You also will still have your picks in that scenario if you keep them. That's food for thought. But like this is a roster construction issue at this point. I think that the Lakers have found the way to optimize Russell Westbrook on this roster. It's just, he doesn't really fit on this roster, but their supporting cast isn't great either. When you're talking about how reliant they are on um, not even Patrick Beverly at this point, who didn't play uh, in their loss to uh, Utah uh, on Monday night, but like Lottie Walker, the fourth who also didn't play in their loss to you, like being reliant on those guys. Like the fact that Austin Reeves, he's, he's rock solid. He's a nice find, but like the fact that he is so important, the fact that the Lakers are one Matt Ryan, like heroic shot away from having an even worse record or maybe looking like the absolute worst team in the NBA right now, they're, they're tottering on the brink and you can't be there and expect that one move, regardless of what it is, is going to, to fix you. And so that's where I find myself conflicted is that they should have done something over the off season right down doing a better job of fleshing out the roster. I mean, like they didn't have a ton of flexibility to begin with, but you had to know, like, why did you sign Lottie Walker the fourth and then go ahead and trade for Patrick Beverly? Why are you so addicted to having all of these small, small guards? You signed two centers only to have 
I believe Thomas Bryan is banged up right now, but you have these two other centers, but you're only so that you're not going to play Anthony Davis and power forward anymore, which is always the right call. But like those are wasted roster spots. I think JTA was a solid signing for them. I just don't like Thomas Bryan, Damian Jones haven't done anything for them um, th- this year. And I like, it's just Troy Brown jr. Even like he's had some nice moments, but the fact that we're talking about winning Gabriel being on the floor when it matters, I, it's just, uh, and again, look, injuries put some of this beyond their control. Patrick Beverly's banged up right now. Uh, like I said, Thomas Bryan is banged up right now. But like Damian Jones just doesn't really even factor into the Lakers plans. It's pretty clear. Uh, if you were going to also make the trade of the Russell Westbrook trade, it would have made more sense to have done so over the offseason when you would have been able to go through a training camp with the inbound players. But I even had, look, Miles Turner just balled out on Monday. I had the best game of his career, probably, against the, uh, oh my God, who were they playing? The Pelicans. I don't like Miles Turner, but he'll, yeah, I think it does upgrade the roster, but does it make you material better to the point where you feel good about the Lakers contending with the tippy top of the Western conference? No, that's saying something too, because the West is so wide open. So moral of the story is, yeah, there are teams that would be interested in Anthony Davis. There's probably, I could rattle off like a bunch. Like, do I think Atlanta would kick around for sure? Charlotte would absolutely maybe look at mortgaging its future insofar as it can of anyone, but LaMelo ball throw picks in there. They would absolutely be interested in doing it. Can you see the the Bulls maybe getting involved? They do owe first-round picks. There's one in 2025 that they owe to, I believe that's San Antonio because there's going to Orlando this year. Would they look at it, though? Yeah, they would absolutely look at it. Uh, Dallas, for sure. Denver's a no. Detroit's probably a no. Would Golden State think about it with the kids? If the Lakers were rebuilding, you maybe get some of that Warriors equity. I don't love the Draymond-Anthony Davis pair, but you also would have to give up Draymond or Wiggins in that scenario, or Clay. obviously. That makes stuff weird. Houston, Indiana is a no. The Clippers, I guess they could be interested, but they don't really have anything to offer unless they're going to dangle Paul George. Miami for Anthony Davis, that's something that they could try and look at. They certainly have the picks. I don't really love the offensive fit between him and Bam Adebayo. Memphis, Anthony Davis and Jared Jackson Jr. makes a lot of sense. With John Morant, you're probably going to have to go Desmond Bain in that deal. Would they even do that? They'd probably be looking at their other youngsters plus all the picks. I hear Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy, and as many picks as you can name plus salary. So yeah, maybe they look at it. Minnesota's a no. Milwaukee would be fierce, but they just don't have the pick equity or even the player equity, quite frankly. New Orleans, absolutely not. The Knicks, maybe they're just seduced into doing it. Uh, OKC, no. Orlando, no. Just two teams that really aren't at that point. Phoenix, sure. I mean, I just... Anthony Davis and DeAndre... Are you giving up DeAndre Ayton for Anthony Davis? That'd be a fascinating question to ask Suns fans. I probably wouldn't, just because I trust DeAndre Ayton's durability more at this point, but... Maybe I'm living too like he's just so much younger than Anthony Davis that I don't think you you do that. In which case you're looking at what? Just the salary filler and all the picks. Like you're not even giving up Mikael Bridges in that scenario. Phillies a no as well. Portland, maybe, but like I'm not their roster is just so plucky right now. I wouldn't want to fuck with it. If it's Kevin Durant, yeah, maybe, but you're not gonna give up Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, two of the guys that diversify your defense the most right now. Would you even give up Anthony Simons plus picks? in a deal for Anthony Davis. I guess you do because you have Dame, but man, like, okay, so throw them in there. Would the Kings look at it? They already have some bonus. No. The Spurs, no. Toronto, maybe, but they wouldn't trade you Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, or Fred Van Fleet to do it. So no. Would they trade you OG Ananobi for Anthony Davis? Like, I don't know. Washington, maybe, but like even their picks are all tied up because of the lotto protected first. They owe to New York that's protected until kingdom come Utah. No there. So there are teams. It's just, what are you going to get for him? So my official stance is I don't think Anthony Davis is available, nor should he be available. 
the next big thing up here is Cam Johnson tore the meniscus in his uh, right knee, and he's going to have surgery on it. We don't have clarification, I believe, yet. Uh, this is I'm recording this at like 2.20 in the morning on Tuesday as to what route he went with it, but this is going to be a matter of months. And I think most realistically, one to two months on um, some of the timetables, that just seems a little quick. And so maybe they won't go to the four to the six-month timetable. That would be really killer. But we're probably looking at, I would say, a minimum of like two months, even if they go. And if I if I missed it, I apologize. I thought I did look before I hopped on here. But even if they go the um, the route that's going to have a shorter recovery, it's like we're talking about maybe he comes back like just before the trade deadline or something, uh, which means that they have to do something. Which the Suns have to do something also because CP3 leaves their loss to the Sixers on Monday night with right heel soreness. He didn't think it was going to be a long term issue. He said, I believe he was asked if he believed it was precautionary. He said yes, but he also said if he could have played, he would have been out there. So that's a little bit ominous, at least. And we're just dealing with someone who is in their late 30s now. So that's something you have to keep in the back of your mind. Cam specifically, just their best shooter on the team. I mean, he leads the team in catch and shoot three point attempts this season at 5.9. Next up is Damian Lee at 2.6 per game. It's like he more than doubles up the catch and shoot three point attempts per game. And he's shooting 42.2% on catch and shoot threes overall. That is Cam Johnson. The starting lineup with him, by the way, is outscoring opponents by, by 29.5 points per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass. Uh, when you start to sub in other guys, uh, Damian Lee before the, uh, you know, Damian Lee, as of now, you're plus 4.1 when he's with the starters, uh, and you're minus 6.1 when that's Torrey Craig playing with the other four starters. So you need to do something. And like Cam Johnson is important for so many reasons. Is he get like he's rock solid positionally as a defender. He is a movement shooter. Like his his shots can come in all forms. It gives you a little bit of off the dribble stuff. Not someone who's gonna put a ton of pressure on the rim, though. Still, he's a big part of not even just your three-point efficiency, but your three-point volume. And there's just, like, you're not going to replace that on the roster. So you have to look. I, I guess if you're going, if we're saying, well, they're going to first and foremost look on the roster, it's going to be Torrey Craig and Damian Lee will pick up, like, the majority of the slack there. Like, you can extend. Uh, Josh Akogi is a monster defensively, but he just hamstrings you so much offensively, at least Tory Craig can put up threes and they have a prayer of going in at this point. They've actually gone in at a higher clip than normal through the start of this season. It's like between those three guys, you're just not going to get enough. And none of them is going to be di as dynamic as Cameron Johnson, frankly, like his decision-making being able to give you that like second layer of scoring where it's not just off the catch. Let's call it like the two or more dribble scoring. Damian Lee might give you like a little bit of that, but there's still just, there's more fluidity and maybe even directionality to Cam's game there. So how do you go about fixing this? Could you bring Jay Crowder back? That helps you defensively. There's familiarity there. The three-point volume as well. He trusts himself off the dribble, even though a lot of them can be misadventures. I don't know if he comes back to the team at this point. It would make a lot of sense for both parties just because his value, if he sits out this year, I don't know how much that actually helps him leading into to free agency, but it might just be sort of making it look like the Suns were bent over a barrel by by Jay Crowder in this situation, which I doubt they want. Otherwise he would maybe be with the team or they would have just extended him or trade him for the sake of trading him. I think it, this makes it more likely that they do move him for like a smaller return where it's, we see the Suns make a move before the trade deadline. Maybe it's not a huge move because I think you have to, if you're them keep the Kevin Durant uh, item in play and like the, the nets are so implosive. You at least have to have that in your periphery 
And so you don't go and trade a bunch of first round picks. And so it's, can you trade Jay Crowder straight up or with some other money? And maybe you're attaching some lower level pick equity um, to bring someone back. We'll get into names in a second. That seems like the more likely route. I personally would see if there wasn't like, and even if it came down to extending Jay Crowder, I'd like, what is the number, but just being having him back. And if the number is manageable, you're very much working on a win now timeline. And so I am probably in the minority. If we're comparing myself to Suns fans, I don't hate the idea of Jay Crowder coming back. I, I imagine the locker room would be fine. I don't like, this feels like a very much Jay Crowder versus the front office. But again, he did kind of just bail on the 64 win team. Maybe that pisses off CP three, Devin Booker, Deandre, and et cetera. Mikhail Bridges. That being said, if he comes back, I, 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 f- I feel like the Suns would figure out a way to make it work on the court and off the court as well. It does feel unlikely. The free agency ranks don't really leave anybody. Uh, I know that Suns fans have floated mellow. Yeah, do it. Uh, he gives you a lot more scoring optionality than Josh Kogi, that's for sure, and Torrey Craig as well, even more so than Damian Lee. And he turned himself into a nice, complimentary three-point shooter um, over the past few seasons of his career. Definitely not going to give you much defensively. I think if you're... You know, if you're putting him in the starting lineup, the case for me to start him would be okay. Well, then you're playing him with Bridges and Aiton, and like that's your mass coverage right there. In addition to just having someone who's rock solid at their position in Devin Booker, Chris Paul's probably, you know, he's lost a few steps there, assuming he's going to be healthy. But that might be your argument for starting him. If you're bringing him off the bench, you probably try and make sure that you're, you know, I know Jock Landale is good defensively like he has really you know twitchy feet and he can make stops at the rim and hang in space as well i would just be like hey you need to try and time out a little mikhail bridges minutes or maybe even deandre ayton's minutes just have someone but behind him like that's something that you would have to consider i would still do it he's just he's not playing right now and he's he's proven that he could be a really useful offensive accessory uh, but that's like it when you're looking at free agents trade targets are a little bit more interesting and so the list i made look Throw Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant on there if they're going to make the the home run trade. I don't know that there's anybody else uh, in terms of home run targets right now. So all the names that I listed are very much, they're not going to give up the farm to get them. They are These are guys that could fit, that could help them. Probably, I don't think any of these guys were, some of them might replace some of Cam shooting. They're not going to replace all of that threat. But I'm thinking of it in the vein of, you can make this trade and still have the necessary draft pick equity uh, left over after the fact to get involved in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes or if another player star becomes available close to the trade deadline leading into next summer. Since you do, you're very much in the now, but you also like you want that star to fit with the Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges timeline, especially who's ever left after that trade, obviously. Devin Booker is the, is the timeline for this team, if we're being frank. So some of the targets that... I came up with let's let's get the Knicks one out of the way. I think Julius Randall's popped up in sun circles. Uh, if they're just going to send back like pile the money on top of each other, when you're looking at like, you know, I guess, are they sending Jay Crowder out on that deal? Like, the Knicks could probably use Jay Crowder. I'm not going to lie. They have Quentin Grimes and Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett, but they, they could probably use Jay Crowder. So you send out um, Dario Sarge and Dre Crowder, and then you're almost at uh, Julius Randall's money. If you want him, the other thing I did think if you're willing to give up pick equity, since Tom Thibodeau, He's tried out Obi and Julius Randle more in stretches, but he still seems to have like sort of this quick hook with Obi. Is Obi available? Like this team could totally try him out with the way he's shooting threes. They can make it work, uh, but that would be an option. Harrison Barnes in Sacramento. He's been he's been bad. Sacramento. Oh, excuse me. Harrison Barnes has been 
terrible this season. I just wonder if something's going on there. I also wonder if it's lower the cost to get him. If you're the Kings and you need to get stops, Jay Crowder is more valuable to you than Harrison Barnes right now. I don't think you're getting a pick from the Kings, at least not a first round pick for uh, trading Harrison, like taking on Harrison Barnes. He is an expiring contract, but he's not as much of a liability with the way that the Suns defend and who they have around him. And can he regain some of his offensive swagger? That option feels more realistic than ever. And like it could maybe pan out in the favor of both teams, just because of Jay Crowder and the Kings think about um, extending him or communicate that they do want to keep him beyond the season or that they're going to give him a spot in the starting lineup. That works out well for him as well. Uh, so there's that name. Boyan Madonovich did sign an extension with the Pistons. He can still be traded. He can with under the terms of his extension. So that would be something to look at. I don't know how much more he costs you with two more years left on his deal, but you can get away with salary filler. And let's say it's this year's first. I don't think that would remove you from the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Then the the Nets, if they do move him, will be more interested in your picks in 2025 and beyond, uh, since those post date CP3 essentially. And you would have all those still in your chamber if you made the that Boyan Madonovich trade. Uh, but it does seem like the Pistons value him still. If they're if they're getting that late first round pick plus salary filler, maybe they maybe it doesn't matter as much. Uh, but he would be a great fit just for he was shooting the lights out of the ball. Um, as, feels like he's peeled back a little bit ever since he dealt with that shoulder thing. Still, he would he would work for this team too. Uh, I had KJ Martin circled defensively. Yeah. He just he doesn't have the three point shot, thirty percent from three this year, but he just puts a ton of pressure on the rim, which is something the Suns just still like that. That's not what they do, and so that could really work with some of the lineups they have. He makes so little, but what is it going to cost to bring him in? He is playing with the Rockets as of right now. They just have so many different guys. It might be easier to acquire him if Jason Tate was healthy. Is there a KJ Martin, Eric Gordon trade to work out in tandem where you're only giving up this year's first round pick plus salary filler? That would be an interesting dynamic because you're ostensibly addressing a couple needs at once. Rare Gordon gives you another shooter, another guy who can handle the ball. I know campaign has played pretty well this year. The bench, I've said this, I think, on the podcast before, has been really surprising for Phoenix. But if you have a Gordon-KJ Martin combo, again, the spacing gets iffy with Martin, but like that, you can build some really awesome lineups around him that get you at least three shooters on the court, if not four, depending on who's at center. Like if you're playing him with Jock Landale, like, there you go. Uh, so I have him there. This is a feels like a buy low right now, not part of the Pacers rotation, shooting very poorly, but he can defend a bunch of different positions and has shot the three ball better in the past on low volume. O'Shea Brissett. I think there was a Suns fan, they might mention, that said he sucked uh, a couple months ago. It was before the season started. I mean, he's not been good right now, but he gives you just a lot of, you know, defensive scalability for one. And if he can start making those threes again, I don't know what he costs you at this point either. Like this is, we're talking about cheaper options in the well. And I, I don't think he would cost you an arm and a leg at this point. And I just think he's shooting 14.2% from three. That would progress to a higher mark if he's with the Suns. I think we're obligated to mention the Jazz here. They are in first place in the West. So why would you trade anyone, let alone to a team that's in your conference that you're battling for first place with at the moment. But let's just assume like this is still the route they want to go. There are three players on the jazz that can make sense for the Suns. I'll, I'll write them in order of what I think are the most sensible. Kelly Olenek. I don't want him playing the four a ton, but like he can, like he shoots the three ball well enough. And he does some just like um, North South stuff off the dribble, but it feels like North, let's say like, north like southwest like it's just he's not getting you all that room pressure but he can work and 
and go down, uh, go downhill a little bit and has like a little FU to him when he does have the ball in his hands. Uh, so you could play him with eight in Orlando if you wanted. You could also play him at the five. Uh, I do like with the Jazz trade him. I don't know. Vanderbilt seems like they're very much, he's very much part of their future. He would be a defensive monster for them. He gives you someone else who could uh, put additional rim pressure, not with the ball in his hands. Of course, he's the, you know, one more, he's not dynamic as an offensive player, I would say is the best way to phrase it. Uh, I don't, I actually don't love his fit. I might like the Olympic fit a little bit better, but you have Sharks there already. And it's just, I don't know. Vanderbilt has the way higher ceiling defensively. And if you want to really start like muck up things, or maybe you want to be more aggressive uh, and force turnovers, try and get away with playing him and Aiton together. I don't necessarily know how that would look. Uh, he's also cheap, but I don't, he's costing you probably your 2023 first round pick would be my guess. Uh, and then there's Larry marketing just balling out this year. You could play, he's been playing, he's played the three a lot the past few years. You could certainly play him at the four. Uh, I, he would be more, complimentary in Phoenix's system, but like they could give him the keys to some bench units that he would really love. Can they get him five out? Like he's used to playing in Utah at the moment. Yeah. There are some lineups. I mean, look, eight in space is the floor in his own right. Or he get um, Landale out there with him. That those could be some funky bench units, but it's going to cost you, I think for marketing more than just your 2023 pick um, plus your salary filler. So I don't, I wouldn't go all in or even semi all in on a market entry, even though I think he'd be a decent fit. Uh, two other names I thought of Kyle Kuzma and Washington. I don't know if the, do the wizards like what, how do they view their, their season? Like as I record this, uh, they are not, they're not good. I'm trying to think of where they were with their net rating. They are now 20. They've worked all their way up to 25th in net net rating. Congratulations to the Washington wizards. 23rd in offense, 21st in defense. Just, I, I did a Christoph Porzingis breakdown the other day for this podcast. He's cooled off recently just not really a great look for them, but I don't think they're committed to, you know, selling at this point. This is probably a situation you'd have to wait out. Maybe it's not just because they know Kyle Kuzma is about to hit free agency as a $12 million or $13 million player option. That he's definitely going to decline. He would be a fantastic fit for the Suns. Are you getting him for the one first round pick in Jay Crowder? Uh, which what's interesting there is just like, the Wizards could literally plug Jay Crowder into that Kyle Kuzma role. Maybe they think he becomes cheaper than Vig Kuzma. Is that something they could explore? I'd like to say the Suns should go after Denny Avdia, but that's just not, it's not something that I think either team is really going to look at. And the other one would be Josh Richardson. Uh, you are scaling down your lineup, but like this is someone who's going to give you a lot defensively still, and he can, uh, he can hit just the, the, there he's going to want to take some more complicated looks from three and off the dribble, but like, that's not how he needs to be used. And he doesn't need that usage to succeed. He's shooting 41.9% from three this year, a little bit lower on the two point percentage where they've let him explore it off the dribble a little bit. He's actually averaging 3.4 assists, which uh, I didn't realize until right this moment. So I think he can give you some minutes against like the fours, like certain fours defensively, but he can give you minutes against the twos, the threes and the ones not going to help you carry bench units. But again, Cam Johnson wasn't that type of initiator either. And so if you're the Suns, if you're giving up, what are you giving up in this instance is, can you give someone Jay Crowder who sends something to the Spurs that can, cause you're not giving up a first round pick. Um, and the Spurs just might want Josh Richardson around as sort of a culture guy. Also they're at 500 as well around like flirting around there. So not going to cost you for a pick, but I think he'd be a great fit in Phoenix. Those are the names that mostly spring to mind for me, sort of mid end, nothing really super high end there. Uh, if a high end name does, but 
become available and everyone's looking at Kevin Durant, I think that's the look, that's the natural one here. I know some people flirted with, and this wouldn't have been a son's target anyway, but a Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam was a dream way back when. Now he's banged up by the way, but like that doesn't seem like a team. I thought about Gary Trenton Jr. for the Suns as well. I kind of like him. He's headed to free agency though. Would you give up your 2023 first for him? Jay Crowder and I guess Sarich in that situation or, or Shamit. I think you might actually need Shamit though with Cam out. I guess you could consider it. Uh, and Jay Crowder is sort of right up their alley when you look at it. So he actually might be a little small. He doesn't fall between six, seven and six, nine. I don't think you think he's like six, five, six, six. I'll have to look that up. So, you know, the, the Raptors might not be in the, yeah, he's six, six. That's just the hair. It's only, you are allowed to have Fred, Fred Van Fleet. That's your small dude. And then everyone else needs to be between six, seven. And unless you're Christian Coloco, there's your one big dude. So like, that's it. I wouldn't mind it, but Gary Trudger has been all over the place this season on, on offense, uh, especially. So I think, yeah, he would help out a ton, but if you're looking for him to do more off the dribble stuff and you're still sizing yourself down here where it's, you, he's not going to be cover the four assignments. That's very much. You're still going to need Tory Craig to step up, maybe even Josh Kogi even more in addition to Mikael Bridges as well. Um, which is why some of the other names just might make it like a Josh Richardson might just make a little bit more sense for how he could pitch in defensively, even Harrison Barnes, the idea of him. Okay. He can go up against fours. Uh, if you wanted a point of attack defender, though, like I guess, you know, that's where a KJ Martin could come in or like even an O'Shea Brissett can do some of that. Uh, so I, I get that standpoint. There's just not a lot available right now because we're waiting for the trade market to still develop since we're so early uh, into the into the season. But yeah, that those would be my targets for the Suns. Let me know if you have any that are that are different or any ones that I did not mention. Next up, the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young. Dealing with uh, a shin injury, uh, so he did not play on Monday night. But I was doing just some more thorough investigation to what I thought about the Hawks overall and the fit between Murray and Trey, which I feel like has been simultaneously better than I thought and also just not at the same time because the Hawks are just so overwhelmingly unspectacular this season is probably the best way uh, to really phrase it for them. Uh, they are this season, they're 7-3. and three. And they have a top 11 point differential per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass. They're now 13th in offense and 9th in defense. Uh, both marks, which were higher than I thought. They've done a great job of not turning the ball over. There's the level of concern here is like they're shooting really poorly. Uh, and they're not they're not shooting enough threes. Uh, they're 29th in three-point attempt rate right now. And 30th when you're looking at above the break. You have John Collins has been struggling there. Justin Holiday does not look good this season. DeAndre Hunter has looked fantastic. DeJounte Murray, this is part of why it's making it, uh, why the fit between him and Young has worked, hitting 39.4% of his catch-and-shoot threes. That's a really good number for him to be at. And they're winning the minutes with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray just barely by plus 0.7 points per 100 possessions. The offense is they're, they're, they have about a league average offense and a league average defense. So I don't, that's not enough to be, Oh, that's a overwhelming rousing success, but it's, it's good enough in the early goings. Now, when you split them up, things get interesting. Uh, Trey young with no DeJounte Murray, those lineups are getting outscored by 31.4 points per 100 possessions. That's a minus 31.4 net rating. They have a one thirty six point two defensive rating, which is the zero with per percentile folks. Uh, when Murray plays without Trey, the Hawks are a plus 2.2 points per 100 possessions. The offense struggles, as you uh, as you might expect, and uh, majority of those struggles are coming in the half court where they average 0.845 points per possession. That is 
bad for anyone else. I was in the sixth percentile, but their defense has been fantastic. Um, I do think they've given uh, Trey heavier lifts in some of his lineups when you when you look at them, but also Murray spent a lot of time with Onyeka Kongu, and I like, one, the chemistry that I've seen from them together, and just also he's been he's been a beast overall. And so those two defensively, you have John Collins or Jalen Johnson on the floor for a lot of those. So some of those, in addition to Deandre Hunter, I think Trey's units have been just a little bit more barren. You expect him to uplift, uplift more. I think when you look at the Hawks though, it's Trey who's had to make the lion's share of the adjustments here. Um, he's taking more catch and shoot threes. He's at 26.3% on those catch and shoot threes. That's five of 19 last year. He was 37 of 77. That's 48.1%. So he's just already on pace to shatter how many catch and shoot threes that he takes. Uh, 28.2% of his baskets are coming off assists compared to 16.9% last year. So that's a sizable increase. Uh, he's clearly getting used to his new role and they have him working off the ball more and, I, I would say, I don't want to say too much, but like, I don't need to see Trey Young doing things off the ball and Aaron holidays on the court. Like, I don't need to see that at all. He's just not, he's not, he's actually shot the three ball quite well this year, but he's, he's not the passer that a DeJounte Murray is. And so I don't want to see him working on the ball and then Trey Young off at setting screens or trying to come off screens or just standing in the corner. I've seen a lot of that at least lately. Um, so that's something to monitor. Also, Trey's normal looks just aren't going in. His finishing at the rim is down this year. He's shooting 32.1% on pull-up threes, and like those are his bread and butter, and there's always variance in those clips, but you expect that to be higher from Trey Young. He's even shooting under 36% on wide-open uh, threes this year, which, again, that's just low for him. I would also say he's struggled relative to him out of the pick and roll as well. I don't think there's as much space for him to operate with the DeJounte Murray and Clint Capella on the floor with him. And also with John Collins shooting so poorly from the floor, Trey is averaging 0.78 points per possession as a pick and roll score, 38.5 effective field goal percentage, turning the ball over 15.1% of the time, uh, getting to the foul line 11.9% of the time. The latter two numbers are right in line with last year, 15.2 turnover rate and got to the foul line 10.1% of the time on his pick and roll possessions as the ball handler. But he averaged 0.97 points per possession out of the pick and roll last year compared to 0.78 this year. He shot 44.7, a uh, 44.7 effective field goal percentage versus 38.5 effective field goal percentage. Those are big drop-off numbers. And I do a lot of that spacing, uh, I also would argue that, yeah, some of it's just going to get better because it's Trey Young. A lot of this just feels very uncharacteristic, but the spacing, the floor feels like it has shrunk for him this year, and that's a problem. I also think, you know, even Murray, knowing that his drives and his pick-and-roll possessions specifically, that those can bail out quite early before the rim, that's changed the complexion of the Hawks' offense a lot, not necessarily for the better, Murray's getting to the line on just 2.9% of his pick and roll possessions. That's down from 7.5 last year, which was already really low. And when you look at their pick and roll offense, it just feels very vanilla. Um, they finished the second most possessions as ball handlers in the league, but their 0.81 points per possession ranks in the bottom 12 and their ball handlers are 28th in shooting foul percentages drawn during these things. So they're just not, it's it's so their offense feels so bland. And when you go back and watch some of their later minutes this year, there's not a whole lot of stuff happening, but there's also just not a lot of stuff happening overall. 
uh, like throughout the full 48 minutes where it feels like they could be more creative. You, like you have Trey Young moving, but like that's sort of the extent of your creativity. And then it's just, we're going to lean on these pick and rolls or we're going to have DeJounte Murray deny or Trey Young deny a bunch of screens and try and work that way. And then all of a sudden it feels like the, the floor is congested. Um, again, I think some of this stuff will change. Trey will shoot better. His averages will come up. It will just happen. You would expect Collins to shoot better than sub 26% from three. I don't really know where I'm at with Justin Holiday. Is his sub 29% mark going to come up? I don't really know. Um, you know, is Atlanta, are they going to get a little bit more aggressive when it comes to, if they're not going to contain the ball really well, can they put more pressure on it and force turnovers? They do have the highest offensive rating in the league off steals this year at 179.2. Uh, that's great, but like, they're not forcing nearly enough turnovers for that to matter. Um, so I think it's encouraging in the sense that Murray feels like a very much cleaner fit off Trey than I would have thought or expected right off the bat. And then it's Trey who has sort of struggled more to find his groove within the offense with Murray and even without Murray. And then the Hawks overall, you just have to hope that they start making some of their higher quality looks. And like they are in the bottom five in effective field goal percentage on wide open jumpers outside 10 feet. And so, yeah, you hope that sort of changes. If it doesn't, they're a team that probably needs to look to the trade market where it's okay. We have Hunter extended, so we're keeping him. Uh, but Trey, Murray, both those three down on the floor and everyone else is available. We haven't seen Bogdan Bogdanovich come back yet, though, this season. That's going to be important. But I really think when you're looking at some of their struggles from the perimeter, not having him and then giving up Kevin Hurd to the Kings, that's really hurt uh, their offensive balance. And I, will Bogdanovich help them regain that? Yeah, probably. He's not going to make them his elite defensive team. Uh, I'm still more concerned about the offense than I think than the defense, if only because I didn't have like super high expectations for the defense. And I would argue that they're 13th now, and those numbers get skewed by the game. Yada yada yada. They just destroyed the Bucks without Trey Young. Still, I'm a little bit more concerned about the offense, but because Trey Young has been struggling so much, you know he's going to get better. Moral of the story being, I. I'm hopeful for this fit still and this roster, but I'm just not completely sold on it to date. The final thing that we're going to get to, and I don't want to touch on this too much because we'll, we'll get into it with peace, peace or panic, but the Warriors edge out the Kings on Monday night. Steph Curry has this just masterpiece. Drops 47 points, uh, shoots 17 of 24 from the floor, including 7 of 12 from 3, had 8 assists, was a plus 20 and had a log about 38 minutes. The Warriors were outscored by 17 points um, during the time that he sat. They are so reliant on him right now. Their net rating, once again, swings by more than 20 points in the wrong directions when he's off the court. Go back and look at their box scores. It's just a bunch of minuses from their bench. I don't want to go as far as to say the Warriors are wasting Steph because they do have the four titles. They're working off a title. You can expect some of the problems that have ailed them outside the starting five to get better. And even Clay Thompson hasn't looked great. I'm sort of leaning towards the Warriors need to make a trade or some changes here. You can't Pearl clutch Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and most certainly not James Wiseman anymore. I guess you'd be selling low on Wiseman at this point and medium on Kaminga and Moody, if not low on, on one of them. And there has to be a name out there that you want, but like if, if Gary Trent Jr. is available, are you giving up one of those guys to consider him? Or is it like, is that too low? And um, getting to money is difficult though. If you're not willing to trade Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, or Andrew Wiggins. So that's where it gets a little weird, but you can step out of your way with the kiddos to get someone. I think it's time to look that route. 
I will say, because look, their bench has just been horrific this year. It's just been, it's not just James Wiseman. It's just been horrific. The defense has been bad. They're fouling a ton. I do think a lot of that has to do with how they're sort of overreacting or overhelping when James Wiseman is on the court. Um, when you look at Draymond, when you look at Joe Michael Green specifically, uh, and even just, you know, I, Draymond is averaging the second most fouls for 36 minutes of his career, just as evidence that that is happening. So I don't know who the name is, but I look at it like someone like Malik Beasley would go a long way for this roster. So would a Josh Richardson. You're not giving up one of your young guys, I guess, necessarily for those players, but it, maybe you're getting a first round pick back in between. Or do you start swinging for the fences, trying to step ladder your way with Kaminga and Wiseman in there in future picks and seeing what sticks again, the trade market needs to develop. And right now I don't see one, but one of the low key problems here is that you just paid Jordan Poole doesn't kick in this season. His, his extension will kick in uh, next year, but like, he is not being good. I think he's made strides as a passer and his two point percentage was through the roof for a while, but, and I don't want to just, throw this onto him because of how the bench units have have looked. But at some point, like the units he runs without Stephen Curry, you want them to be closer to a net positive. And they're just not there right now. And so you have to, if you're the Warriors, it's not about making a move now per se, even though there needs to be some urgency. I think you need to look at this though and see what's out there. I don't know. I know some people are going to suggest Miles Turner again. You have Kavon Looney and Draymond Green, and it works. And the problem isn't your starting lineup. Like, you need, it feels like, I hate to say this, like a sixth man, like a six, seven, eight, eight guy. Like, those are the names that would help you. Again, are you trading James Wiseman to get one of those? That's a different story. But, like, you need to start going and looking at teams that have been struggling or you know are, excuse me, going to be sellers and trying to work out something there because. This just isn't it. I don't want to see Steph Curry in his still in his prime, playing at his peak at an MVP level, just all around brilliant. And it is a waste because like this is the that's the timeline you should be operating on is Steph Curry. That's your timeline because you can talk about juggling two timelines and it looked like maybe you could last year, but you weren't really playing the kids and James Wiseman wasn't there. And then you put more. We talked about this on the pod. You're putting more responsibility on all their shoulders, even though Kaminga wasn't playing. It's just by virtue of assuming that two of those spots off the bench, just even two, but really three, are going to come from those guys. You have hollowed out your rotation a little bit in a way it wasn't last year. The Light Years podcast made this great point, which is not something I considered. Um, I was not one who was as up in arms about the Otto Porter Jr. or even the Gary Payton the second departure, which, by the way, Gary Payton the second still hasn't played this year. Uh, but they even pointed out losing Juan anderson and Damian Lee ends up being huge because they were at least veterans who understood the system and you don't have those luxuries anymore. You find yourself leaning on Ty Jerome. You find yourself leaning on Jamichael Green. And so it just gets tougher. Yes, Dante DiVincenzo's been banged up. There's a level of patience that deserves to be here. I was asked on a radio show the other day, though, like, is this a championship hangover? And I, I'm just like, I don't think it is because the guys who should be hungover from the championship are not the problem. I mean, Clay has had his ups and downs, but he's still sort of working his way back from two major injuries. Draymond Green, not dominant as he was defensively, like to start last year, but he's still been really good on defense. Had that nice little fake handoff at the end of the game against the Kings too, and just that monster jam. Andrew Wiggins, absolutely rock solid. Probably the Warriors' second best player. Um, Steph, th- amazing. Kavon Looney, just, I have endless appreciation for him. Jordan Poole has been, I guess, the worst like player of the actual should-be championship hungover squad. And so... 
like the fact that the main most of the main guys aren't the issue and that clay has like real reasons behind what his struggles might be like it's not a championship hangover it's something that's just ingrained in this roster where i don't know if they lean too far into the youth or it's just not possible to juggle these two timelines the way that you want to regardless like that isn't a given you know, like even if you think Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman and Moses Moody all pan out and that Jordan Poole's the second coming of Devin Booker or CJ McCollum or whoever, the chance to contend for a title right now is assured because Steph Curry is this transcendent, is this good. You're not guaranteed that even if you get the 90th percentile outcomes of multiple youngsters of the future, let's call it. Because first, all four of them aren't going to hit in that regard. And I don't think anyone expected Moses Moody to be there. They just expect him to be this great rotation player. But like Jonathan Kaminga or James Wiseman, Jordan Poole, you need two of those three to turn into a star. And even then, you wouldn't be guaranteed anything there. I say all this with the notion I haven't given a ton of thought to who they would trade for because the value of a James Wiseman would be all over the place. But you need to start considering it. Like As other teams are waiting to see who starts selling, like the Warriors need to be among those teams. And there, I think there still will be squads that would be interesting in just getting a crack at James Wiseman. I think Kaminga still holds mystery box appeal for sure. But like you really need to like keep your, it doesn't have to be the, oh, let's hope that Zach Levine eventually becomes available and he's still banged up right now. It doesn't even matter. Or Bradley Beal becomes available. I'm not saying it's at that level, but like someone who's your, I, I, I'll say seventh best player out of respect for Jordan Poole. Like right now, you need a sixth best player that you could rely on. And that's a huge, you might even say fifth, just given how turbulent that clay has been. And I think you need to start looking at that. I'm, I'm there with the Warriors. Thank you to everyone who stuck with me the entire time. Please remember to subscribe wherever you're consuming us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, subscribe across the whole. If you're a subscriber to all three, you're a superhero and I appreciate you. Do all that. Shout us out on Twitter. Tell people about us. Retweet our promos on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, follow us on the socials, Instagram, TikTok. Um, we are at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram, at Hardwood Knox on TikTok, at Hardwood Knox on Twitter. Links are also in the description. Join our Discord. We have a lot of fun in there. There's a lot more conversations happening that I'm not involved in, which I think is good because, one, I can't – I try to read everything, and I'll like, and I'll, I will respond a bunch. I think people can attest there. But I want to see conversations happening that I'm not involved in. That's what's super cool. So join our Discord. Until next time, and as always, I leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, the indelible, Frank Nila Kina.